Well, I would love for you to open your Bibles tonight. Um, if you've got one, if you don't, we've of course got some, got the words on the screen. But if you have one at home, if you've got a Bible somewhere, bring it because you'll get so much out of it reading it in your Bible. And we always encourage you to go home and reread what we've talked about tonight. Don't just take my word for it. Read it again. Let God unfold things to you. Let God illuminate it. Um, you know, the Bible says in 1 John that, that you don't need a special teacher just to teach you. Uh, you have the Holy Spirit, the anointing that lives within you. And that's the, that's the Holy Spirit at work. The anointing that is within you is able to teach you all things. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have teachers in the church. The Bible says that one of the gifts that he gave to the church is the gift of a teacher. Um, and if throughout the New Testament, we're instructed to teach and preach the word. But what it means is, is that even tonight as I'm teaching and preaching the word, it's the Holy Spirit that's doing the teaching in your heart. It's the Holy Spirit that will teach you. So uh, that doesn't end when the service ends. So take your notes and, and take your Bible and, and I would encourage you to go home and, and reread. And what I always like to do is I always like to read what came before the passage that we focused on and what came after it. And really dig in uh, because God's going to make some things come alive to you. We really don't uh, preach anything just so that you can feel like you got pumped up for a night. Uh, we really believe these are great. These are the seeds of life that if you'll allow this to sink deep, it will change your life. God's word will change your life. Absolutely it will. And, and there's no way to hear God's word in the power of the spirit. There's no way to hear God's word in the power of the spirit and not be changed somehow. You can ignore it. But the Bible tells us that if we ignore what he speaks, if we ignore his voice, we're actually, it, it'll harden our hearts. So you won't stay neutral. You'll either get softer or harder. And that's, that's dependent on how you respond to the word of God. We're going to start a series um, this through, on Wednesday nights for the next while, um, reading through the book of Colossians. And I, I really think it's a timely time for us to do this because... Um, the book of Colossians is so full of, and I know that there's a couple of books like this, but it is so full of high, really up there spiritual thoughts, but just straight down practical stuff as well. And it marries those two things together. And you find out that God's got a plan for me and he's going to do it through me, but it's going to be his power. Uh, a couple of Sundays ago on December 30th, we talked about godly resolve. We talked about how God was going to fulfill the godly resolve he put in you. That, that there, it's going to take your will. It's going to take you making decisions. Based on what God said. Based on the promises of God. Based on the commands of God. But it's going to be his power that gets it done. And what we're talking about tonight really goes in line with that. Because we're going to be talking about Colossians 1. And uh, we're going to be talking about the will of God in your life. And your will in your life. And I know that, that some, sometimes we say, well, those things are at odds. And they are initially. Your will and God's will may initially be at odds. But the idea is for your will to come into submission to God's will. So just real quick, before we start reading Colossians 1. Let's think about Jesus in the garden. Right? So there's a moment in the garden where he's praying. He asks his disciples to pray with them. But they fell asleep a long time ago. So he's just by himself trying to like tune out the snoring behind him. 
Now, why did they fall asleep? Were they just tired? No, there was a spiritual oppression in the air. There was something, a slumbering spirit that had really come over them that, that was even on Jesus. This was the moment where he is faced with the reality that he's not just going to, you know, I, I believe that the physical suffering of the cross paled in comparison to the spiritual weight of the sin that he would bear on that cross, of the price he was going to pay, of, of, of the, the sinless lamb of God taking on the sin of the world. I, I know that it, it hurt for him to take those stripes for me. I know that it hurt for him to be beaten. I know it hurt for him to have his beard plucked out. I know it hurt for him to lose all that blood. I know it hurt for him to be crucified, but I know it hurt for him to taste death not not physical but spiritual death for you and I for him to taste that 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 displeasure that we had incurred before God and him to say I'm putting that on me and even though we know that he was always pleasing to God he paid the penalty for us going the other way and in the garden the reality is is there and you'll remember he says to God he says to his father he says, Lord, he says, Father, if, if this cup can pass, then, then let it pass. You know, if I don't have to drink of this cup, you know, about, of, of what's about to happen, of taking on the sin of the world, if there's another way, that would be great. But he says, not my will, but yours be done. And that is such an amazing statement. In that statement is obedience. In that statement is love for you and me. In that statement is sacrifice. In that statement is faithfulness. In that statement is every good thing. And, and it brings it back to reality because we realize that Jesus had humanity as well as, you know, he was God and human at once. And so there's, there's this moment where you realize that he had to get his own will in line. You know, there's, there's that moment where you realize that he doesn't necessarily, uh, he's not necessarily looking forward to what he's going to have to bear. Not my will, but yours be done, kind of implies that his will and God's will might not have been perfectly aligned. But then he's, uh, by the very statement, not my will, but yours be done, we might think he's completely laying down his will, and in a sense he is. But what he's really doing is he's allowing his will to shift and come in line with God's will. Because I can tell you something, you don't walk all that way to, to Caiaphas' house and be accused and beaten blindfolded, have your beard plucked out, be whipped to within inches of your own life, as you're losing blood, carry a heavy cross, walking up the streets of Jerusalem till you get out of the city, collapsing because you've lost so much blood and there's so much weight on you, and then getting to the cross and choosing even then to continue on with that journey, being crucified, one of the most painful and excruciating ways to die, and on that cross say things like, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. You don't do those kinds of things unless your will is involved. Right. Jesus couldn't just say, God, would you just put me in a twilight state? Do you remember how they used to do that for women when they're going to have babies? They just give them so much drugs. They say, you're going to go into a twilight sleep. You're not going to remember this. You're going to wake up and you're going to have a baby. Does anybody remember that? No, you don't even believe me, do you? <laughs> Read about it. <laughs> It happened to your grandma, right? Like they basically said, we're going to 
pretty much knock you out. You're going to be awake, but you won't remember a thing. You're just going to kind of be so drugged up that uh, you're going to wake up here and have a baby in your arms. You're going to go, how did this happen? We're going to say, no big deal. It was fun. And, and that's, that's going to be your reality. You know, we, we would like to believe, well, I don't think we would like to believe this, but you might think that that's what God did for Jesus. You know, I know that you couldn't do this. You don't want to do this. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to go through this. So I'm just going to put you in twilight sleep. And you're just going to wander through. And then you're going to wake up, uh, risen from the dead in the tomb. And it'll be wonderful. No, Jesus, every step of the way to the cross, had to choose the cross. And don't think it was just one decision. <laughs> he had to keep making that decision, right? I mean, he had people like Pilate. He had people like Herod trying to get him out of it. In fact, we, you know, I've had this discussion. I think I've talked to you about this before. But, you know, you look at some of these martyrs who gave their life for Jesus in the early, you know, in the New Testament, and the early church, even in the Old Testament when they're giving their life for God uh, or being threatened with death. All along the way to death, there's somebody trying to tell them, if you just say you don't believe this, we'll let you go. The three Hebrew children. Nebuchadnezzar is begging them. To not go to the furnace. He doesn't want to throw them in the furnace. You know, why don't you just say, you know, just do a little bow. Just, just a tiny bow. Because the enemy would rather have a compromised Christian than a dead Christian. So every, every step of the way to the cross, Jesus is choosing. My will now is to go to the cross. This is my will. I'm not saying he ever said, I don't want to go. I really hope I don't have to go. But there's a moment where he had to say, God, if this is really your will then it's not about what I want for my life. It's about what you want. And then that'll be my will too. Your will is important. God doesn't supersede your will. His will is better. His will is greater. His, his ways are higher. But he still says you've got to obey. There's obedience involved in faith. Colossians 1 says this. And, and this is where we're going to jump in tonight. Colossians 1 is a good way to start Colossians, isn't it? Might as well start at chapter 1, verse 1. Paul signs the letter, and, and of course this would make a lot more sense than the way we do it. We sign a letter at the end. They signed their letter at the beginning, right? So you know who you're reading it from. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now, a lot of times we just skip over the intros because it just seems like fluff and, and the good stuff's coming. But take a moment and see how he introduces himself. He says, my name is Paul. I'm an apostle by the will of God. I'm an apostle by the will of God. I'm not an apostle because they needed an extra one and I showed good leadership skills. I'm not an apostle because I took the apostle uh, track at Bible school. I'm not an apostle because I, I, I fought my way into it and, and just stepped on the little guy to get there. I'm an apostle because God chose me to be an apostle. That said, there's a bunch of times he could have said, I'm not doing this anymore. You know, he, he, he could have walked the other way. Now, he knew and it's probably based on the way Jesus found him. Jesus confronted him on the road as an enemy combatant and said, you're going to work for me now. And, and you see when Paul talks about how Jesus called him into ministry, Paul doesn't really see it as he has any other choice. Do you know what I mean? It's not like he's saying, I could flip burgers. He says things like, woe to me if I don't preach. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> I can't imagine. I, there's no way I get out of this without preaching. <laughs> the podcast is going to have no idea why you're laughing. And yet, it did take a choice. It did take an act of the will. He says, and we quoted this a few weeks ago, but he says in his letters to the Corinthians, he's talking about the reality of Christ's resurrection and how it's changed him. And he says something really, really important. He says, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. Like by my own, by my own standards, I should be disqualified. And he says that more than once. Throughout his time. He says, listen, I killed Christians. If you're looking for a guy that qualifies, I'm probably not the guy. He says, I'm least qualified to be called an apostle. And he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. So even, even though he says in my own self, in my own history, if you were to look at my resume, I don't measure up to what an apostle should be. He says, I've got no qualms about calling myself one. And you never see Paul say, I don't know if I really can say I'm an apostle. Like, correct me if I'm wrong. He never, he never like weasels his way out of it. He always says, this is what I am. And guys, he says things like, guys, I'm talking to you as your apostle. I say this to you. He just signed a letter. He didn't say, you know, some people call me an apostle. Some people don't. He said, Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. You know, you can't really talk somebody out of something when they say, God chose me, I didn't choose me. He said to the Corinthians, he said, I am least qualified to be called an apostle, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And then he says, his grace toward me was not in vain. It wasn't useless. It wasn't without power. For I worked harder than everyone else. But it wasn't me working, it was the grace of God working with me. There's so much in that that we're really going to see in this first chapter of Colossians. You see what he says? He said, because of the grace on my life, I'm doing this. this is, I am who I am because of the grace on my life, because of God's empowerment, because of God's call on my life, because God's power to get it done and his strength to do it. And everything I do as an apostle is done by his supply. But he says, guys, I actually did have to work hard. You know, I was working. I didn't just sit on the couch and say, God, if you want to do it, just do it. He said, I put, I put my effort into it, but it wasn't me working. It was the grace of God working with me. So he's showing you, listen, guys, I, I, I'm not being lazy here. I'm working. But every step I take, everything I'm doing, it's by the grace of God. God's doing it through me. And here he says, you know, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. You see, my hope for you is that whatever you are, whoever you are, it is by the will of God. That whatever you've set your heart to. Now listen, that, that means I realize that not all of us have as clear of a picture as Paul had here. Sometimes you're still trying to figure out exactly how you fit in the body of Christ. You know what I mean? When someone comes up to you and says, well, what are you? What are your spiritual gifts? You might stare at them and go, I, I'm not sure. I love people, I, I'm, I'm helpful, I'm encouraging. You might not be able to label it clearly. And, and sometimes that's not a bad thing. Sometimes God's taking you on a journey. And, and then other times it's crystal clear. You know what you're doing, but you know that God is, is quite free to, to add something to that or to change it at some point. 
But whatever you are, whoever you are, and whatever you're giving your life to, you should be able to say, this is who I am by the will of God. You see, I, I'm, not, I'm not a pastor. I can say this confidently to you. I'm not a pastor by the will of Jonathan. Because it certainly wasn't my will to be a pastor when I started out. I, I'm a pastor by the will of God. Now you might think that sounds incredibly arrogant. Because who can fire a guy who got hired by God? right? <laughs> you know, who, who can say you're not doing a good job if God picked you? Well, you can still do a bad job even when God picks you. It still takes humility. It still takes faith. It still takes obedience. You know, the, the Bible talks about many are called, but few are chosen. That means there's people that get called and, and don't respond to that call. Don't listen to it. You know, the scripture says it's not God's will that any should perish. So, you know, God desires all men to be saved. That's in the Bible. And yet some people won't be saved. Right? They, they didn't respond to the free offer that God gave them. Jesus wept over Jerusalem and said, I wanted you. I desired for you. I wanted to gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you would not have it, he said. Do you hear what he says? My will was to gather you. Your will, you would not have it. So, you know how many times God's trying to gather us and we have to have it? We have to say yes. We have to say, I'm willing to be gathered you might say, well, no, I think that God's will, if he wants to gather me, he'll gather me. But, and I respect where you're coming from, but in the scripture, you see numerous examples where God says, this was your choice and you chose this. He said to the Israelites, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. I would urge you to choose life that you would live. He says here, I'm Paul, I'm an apostle by Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. In the second verse, he says, to the saints and the faithful brethren. Now, sisters, you're in here too. I think the bre brethren is just a nice gender neutral term in, the, in uh, first century Greek. <laughs> so, I mean, I know it's not completely gender neutral, but it's including the family, all right? So don't just think he's just taking a side break and talking to the men here. We're all included in this. This is the family, right? He says, to the saints and the faithful brethren and sistren, if you want to say that's a word, in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Once again, to the saints and the faithful brothers and sisters who are in Christ. Hang on a minute. There's something, there's something good about that because I don't really think that the faithful brothers are not also saints, Right? There's a big group of saints. Now, all throughout the New Testament, he talks to the saints. And he writes letters to the saints. And, and you know he's not just talking to two people who stood out. He's talking to the whole church, right? It doesn't matter how amazing somebody is and how many miracles they see in their life and how righteous they've lived. There's not a person who's ever lived outside of Jesus Christ himself who has earned the title saint on their own. Forget what you learned in uh, school. Forget what you saw on the stained glass window. There is no saint who got there by being good. A saint means a holy one. And the Bible says without Jesus, there was no righteous, no, not one. There's not one of us who was holy in our own work. That's why we needed the blood of Jesus. That's why we need the power of God. We needed Jesus to sanctify us, which means make us holy, make us saints, right? That's the only way we could have become saints is by his work. 
And so we're saints because of Jesus. That's why when he writes letters to churches full of people just as messed up as you, or just as nice as you, either way, he writes the letters to the saints, and that includes everybody who believes on the name of Jesus. They're all saints. I think they're all saints, but they may not all be faithful brethren. Right? Jesus made you saints by his work. Faithful brethren, that's also his work, but it's your will involved with that. Right? You can't be faithful without the, without the strength of Jesus. You can't, you can't be faithful without God. Right? The Bible says, as he is faithful, we are faithful. So we're faithful because he's faithful. You can't, you can't be faithful in your own strength. However, you can be a saint and not be faithful. Faithfulness requires obedience. Faithfulness requires patience. Faithfulness requires you saying, I'm going to keep doing this when I don't feel like doing this. So he says to the saints and the faithful brothers and sisters, the brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Just real quick, just to back up that that last statement. Uh, Well, no, let's keep reading and, and you'll see it yourself. He says, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you. Stop there for a minute. Once again, there's faith, hope, and love, the big three popping up. And you know, I love how every time those fa- the fa- faith, hope, and love pop up, they always depend on each other. They always work together. You, don't, you can't put it in a perfect linear line. This one came before this, came before this. They all feed into each other. Faith and hope and love. The Bible says that faith works by love. The Bible says that faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The, the scripture says that, that, uh, um, uh, that because of the hope laid up for us, there's love working in us. That, that all of these things are at work together and in union together. And he says... Uh, We've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So because of the hope you have, there's faith, there's love. He says, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which came to you. And then he says, just as it in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you since the day you first heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just stop and look at that again. Let's, let's just pick this apart just a touch. He says, the word of truth that you heard, you heard the word of truth, you heard the gospel, it came to you. Thank God the gospel came to us, right? You didn't come to the gospel, the gospel came to you. Thank Jesus for that. He says, the gospel came to you, and then it says, the word of truth, the gospel came to you, and it says, it is constantly bearing fruit. Now, what's bearing fruit? The gospel, the word of truth, the gospel is bearing fruit in you. It doesn't say you're bearing fruit, even though you are, but what's causing fruit to come out of your life? The gospel, the word of truth, right? This is the seed that Jesus sowed into your heart. It's the sower sows the seed and it bears, it produces fruit. Listen, I don't care what kind of high quality soil your heart is. Without a seed, it can't grow anything. 
You have the best dirt in the world, but the best dirt in the world cannot produce fruit by itself. Right? Good dirt doesn't produce anything on its own. So the reason good things are coming out of your life isn't just because you're a good-hearted person. Now the Bible tells us because of what he did to give us a new spirit, a new heart, there's good fruit going to come out of us. But the catalyst, the seed in our heart is the word that was preached to us. Here's good news about that. That means tonight you're going to hear something that should hit your heart. And if you'll let it sink deep and you'll, you'll take care to let it go deeper than, you know, the other stuff you hear. You'll let it sink deep into the soil of your own heart. It's going to cause things to come out of your life. It might come out like tomorrow. It might come out 10 years from now. I mean, I know that we're, we live in such a day-to-day -day world that we just think, I need a message that's going to help me this week. And thank God for those messages. But, I mean, I've looked back and there's been things years later that came out of my life because of a message I heard the decade before. Like God's word was in me and it sunk in me and at the right time something, I needed that and it came out. Or, or it's been slowly growing since then and now, you know, there's a point where it pops through the dirt and you start to see stuff come out of your life and it's not a product of just getting pumped up last week. It's a product of a lifetime of seeds being sown in you and your heart producing fruit. And that's really cool. He says, you are constantly, he says, the word in you is constantly, right? So this means like, there's not just a, um, there's not just an on and off, one time effect. Constantly, I, I see that as, there's not a break in the, in the season of harvest. There's not a break in, in, in fruit season. It's constantly bearing fruit. Your life, just stuff is just coming out of your life. And the truth of the matter is, guys, a lot of times you can't remember when you first heard that. You just know it's so deep inside of you. You know what I love? I love when people come up to me. And now that I've, I've been pastoring, I don't know, I'm in my 15th year of pastoring now. Now, you know, so there's, now there's been a few years where somebody might say something that I said a long time ago in a message or whatever. And I love when people come to you and say something that you know you preached that message. But they're, they're quoting it as their own. And they're almost quoting you word for word. And they're like, you know what I just realized? Boom, 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 boom. And in your head, you're like, I know they were there when I said that. But I know that I wasn't the first person to say that. I mean, like, if I'm saying something for the first time, I might be in trouble. Right? We've got 2,000 years of the Bible here. If I'm the first one to ever say it, I might have it wrong. Right? Because the word of God isn't copyrightable. You know, it's not trademarked. It is his. And it's been preached for 2,000 years. You're going to have some people say the same things. But the coolest thing is when you hear someone saying something that you think, I, I, I was pretty sure I was the one that said that, but they're owning it. It's because God said it to them. And it's, coming, it's not coming out of their memory of a good message. It's coming out of their heart. And that's when it's got power. Because at the end of the day, it, there's, there's only so much power in being able to say, the preacher preached this message, so I'm going to say this. There's a lot more life in a word that's coming out of that depth of soil of your own heart, right? So when, when, when those 
uh, exorcists in, in Acts 19 said, we, uh, were, they spoke to the evil spirit and said, we adjure you by the same name that Paul preaches, Jesus, the name that Paul preaches. It had no power to it because that name didn't belong to them. They're preaching Jesus that someone else is preaching. It's, it's not, he's not their Lord. So it's a really nice thing when people own the revelation that God gave them. Maybe you first heard it. Maybe you first heard it 20 years ago when someone preached it on the radio. Maybe you read a book. But it's got to become part of you. Because if it's the Holy Spirit, it doesn't belong to a preacher. I don't care how clever the story was or how good the, the uh, uh, hermeneutics were. It's got to come from the Spirit of God. He says that word is constantly bearing fruit. And here's the good thing. It's increasing. I love that because the word of God was never meant to stay the same size. It starts as a seed, but seeds grow. And a believer at 50 years into their walk with Christ should be able to say every year I've looked back and seen that I've grown in Christ. Stuff has changed in me. The word has grown and increased. I, I, I remember looking back at things that I saw as such deep revelation when I was 16 years old. And I got really excited about this word from God. And I'm still excited about it, but it has so many more layers now. Do you know what I mean? Not that it's become better or worse because it's always been so good. But now there's a depth to that. Maybe I read a verse and I just saw it one way and I just saw one thing in it and it was exciting, thank God. But now I look back at that verse and I, I just see so much in it that God, God step by step has revealed to you and to I through his word. And you're not adding, you're not taking away. It's always been there, but you're growing in it. Sometimes, it, you know, even when I say that, people, you, you might hear that as me saying, you're gonna learn something new about that verse. And maybe that's true. A lot of times it's not that you learned a new revelation or a new angle. It's that it was richer in you now. It's the same revelation. It's the same truth. But now it has a richness because you've lived it out. You've tried it. You've proved it. There was some suffering and you pressed through. There was some challenges and you overcame. There was stuff that, that tested that word in you and it came out pure gold. And now it's got a richness, a depth to it, a weight to it that it didn't have the first time you heard it because it's grown in you. The ideal is, is that at some point in your life you can't separate yourself from the words you've received. You can't, you can't, you get to the point where you can't even separate, wait, is that my way of thinking or is that God's way of thinking because they've become so intertwined that the word of God has changed, shifted, and defined your, your worldview. You see the world as he sees it because you're so soaked in him and his word and it's producing things in you. It's increasing, even as it has been doing in you since the day you heard of it and what? Understood the grace of God in truth. There's something to understanding the grace of God in truth. Peter says something sort of right at the end of a really heavy chapter. He says, this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. The true grace of God 
you know, when we say the true grace of God, you might say, well, is there a false grace of God? Well, perhaps, you know, there's, there's certainly us understanding it wrong or, or, only, or only taking a sliver of it. But the grace of God is so rich and so deep, there's a lot to it. When I say the grace of God, you might be thinking of the fact that Jesus saved you from your sins. That's the grace of God. When I say the grace of God, you might say, well, the, the grace of God is how I receive the ministry I'm walking in. Absolutely, that's the grace of God. When I say the grace of God, you might say, well, that's the power to make me holy like Jesus. Absolutely, that's the grace of God. When I say it, you might say, well, I was weak and he was strong. Absolutely, that's it. Those are all sides and, and facets and elements of that powerful grace of God. And there's something about understanding that I can't do anything, but through him, He'll do everything through me. That you understand that grace of God. And suddenly, the word that you've heard is alive and active in you because you realize I can't do this just by understanding and trying to obey it. But I can do this if I say the moment God spoke it, his power was there to get it done. That's understanding the grace of God in truth. When I realize God's not giving me some new rules and saying, try your best, kid. God's saying, with the same force that he said to Lazarus, come out of the tomb. Guys, can Lazarus make up his mind to be alive? Can he take a class on being alive better and not be dead? <laughs> Hey, class, this is not being dead, one-on-one. How many of you, oh, does anybody hear me? Is this thing on? You guys seem to be struggling here. <laughs> Lazarus can't will his way to life. See, when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, all the power to make Lazarus alive was in the word of God. When God said, light be, he didn't convince light to exist. He commanded it to be. And so when God speaks to us, that word has all the power in it. That seed has everything in it to produce life. Our will is involved because we receive the word. We believe the word. We act in faith on the word. But the power is in the word and the spirit of God. That's where the power comes from. So when they understood the grace of God, they understood that this is a work of God that he wants to do through us, then suddenly the word's got legs to it. It's got life to it because they know how to live out of the word of God. He's going to tell me things that I go, that's impossible. But if I'll believe it, I'll see it in my life. He's going to tell me to love and I'll be like, I can't love like that. But if you'll step out in faith and say, because he said it, I'll do it. Then you can. He's going to tell me, lay hands on the sick. And I go, I'm not that person. I can't do that. But because he said it, I believe it. Yes. So when I act in faith, his power will do it. Because I'm believing his word. That's what the people in the scripture, people like Mary said, you know, let it be done to me according to your word. As you, you know, the, the, the centurion who came to Jesus, the guy that really impressed Jesus with his faith said, you just say the word and it'll happen. We've got to believe that, guys. Yes. See, if you're leaving a service, well, I'm just using a service as an example, but this isn't the only way you receive the word of God, right? Right? This is just one way. <laughs> the word of God is being preached on a Wednesday night and on a Sunday morning, but that should not be the only way that God is speaking to us. Right. 
But let's just use that as an example. So tonight, the word of God is being preached to you, and you're sorting through. I think I understood most of those things. I'm going to have to ask a couple questions. Maybe I'm going to have to check my notes. Maybe I'll have to listen to the podcast again. I didn't really get that part. Whatever. But maybe... I know that I've met people that every time they leave a service, they leave with the weight of like, oh, how am I going to do that? And they feel burdened by the word they heard because they go, oh, I thought I was doing good, but then I guess there's more and I, I'm exhausted. Well, you might not be receiving the word the right way because <laughs> what you're hearing is, uh-oh, there's more stuff to do and I'm already failing now. Oh, <laughs> uh, oh, man. I need a nap. I just, I want to go to a church that just doesn't tell me things like that. You know, that's, what you're doing is you're putting all that weight on you. And that will always end in failure. And it will always end in shame. And it will always end in discouragement. Because you'll find out real quick, God never asked you to do anything you could do in your strength. So what do you do? You hear the word and you go, I've never even thought of that. I've never even tried that. That sounds impossible. Let's try it. You say, okay, Jesus, you told me to do this. This is what I'm going to do. Like those times that he sent out the 12 or he sent out the 70. And he said, I want you to go and do crazy things like I do. Okay. So what they're doing is they're saying, Jesus said so. So we're just going to trust because he said so. Stuff's going to happen. Well, it's like that with everything, every word of God. That's the way you've got to see it. You see, we only, the problem with us is we only apply that to the super impossible stuff. Right? Walking on water, uh, catching a fish with a coin in its mouth, (laughs) feeding the 5,000. We only apply the miraculous word of God to those really, really impossible things. But let me tell you, even the simplest command in the Bible is really impossible without the help of God. If you would just put them all in the same category, it's all miraculous. Now, the problem with that is many people believe in the miraculous uh, that they see in the Bible. They just don't expect to see miraculous in their life. So when I say it's all miraculous, they go, well, then I can't do any of it. Because miracles don't happen anymore. But they absolutely do. The supernatural is part of our life. Right? So if, if everything you read, everything you hear, everything that is spoken to you by the voice of God, if you just believe none of this is possible with, with me, Jesus said it, without me you can't do a thing, but it's all possible through him. And don't separate the two. Don't separate it into, well, this is super miracle. Uh, maybe one day he'll do this. And, and this is stuff I have to practice every day. Why don't you just all put it in the same category of if God says to do it, do it. Do it in the power of God. When I was ordained, that was the first words that were spoken to me as hands were laid on me to commission me into ministry. The word of God over me was, the last, the last sentence in the word that was given over me was this, whatever you do, do it. And he said it like that. Do it in the power of God. And when he said those words, it was like someone punched me in the gut. Do it in the power of God. You see, the problem was is that I instinctively would only apply that to things I was having trouble doing. Right? Things I was struggling with, things that seemed too big for me, I would say, okay, God, I need your power. But the best thing I could ever do and the, and the, the most 
relieving and freeing and empowering thing I could ever realize was, I can't do any of this without the power of God. I couldn't do it without it being the will of God. You are what you are by the grace of God. You are what you are by the power of God. You are what you are by the will of God. He says this. Bearing fruit in every good work. Sorry, I I skipped ahead. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We'll talk more about that next week. But listen to this. He says, strengthened with all power. Strengthened with all power. That means that your uh, every type, every side, every angle of power that you need is in him. And he's willing to give it all to you. Strengthen with all power. You know, he's not just rationing that out like the uh, British government and, and, and uh, you know, oil in, in, during World War II. He's not just sort of giving you a little bit here and a little bit there. He's strengthening you with all the power that's available according to his glorious might. So what account are you pulling out that power from? According to your capacity? According to your education? According to your faithfulness? No, according to his glorious might. So that's what he's pulling the power from, his glorious might. Does he have a limit? Does he have a a cap on how much strength he's got? No, he's infinite. So that's how much power he's willing to offer, however much you need. For the attaining of all steadfastness and patience joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's not the end of the chapter. It's not even the end of the thought, but let's just stop there. At the end of all of this, and like that's just an atomic bomb of of word that he just dropped in, in our laps here. All that stuff. And maybe you're just going to need a couple days to process through it. But he says everything you're going to do is going to come from his supply of strength that he's got. You're going to be strengthened in his power according to his glorious might. And you're going to need to give thanks to the Father because he qualified you. And I love that. He qualified me to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. You want to know at the beginning of the letter why he calls you a saint? Because he qualified you to be called a saint. Not only did he qualify you to be called a saint, he qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. What is the inheritance of the saints? At its base level, the inheritance of the saints is him. And everything that's contained in Christ is yours. And I don't know what the world's got to offer us that even comes within, you know, like a galaxy of that. We are sharing in his inheritance. So as we walk away tonight, I want you to just hold this in your heart. Maybe you're in a place right now where you really don't know, you couldn't put words exactly to what your role is in the body of Christ. If you're saying like, I'm still figuring it out. Or I kind of know one thing. I don't know all of the things. 
But whatever I am, I am by the grace of God and I am by the will of God. There's a statement he makes in his letter to the Corinthians where he says, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, and he says, you know, God put all the pieces in the body as he desired. So you might say, why in the world did he make me a hand? Well, he made you a hand because he wanted you to be a hand. And that takes a lot of the pressure off me when you realize you didn't, you didn't pick yourself, that God picked you. I didn't pick this job. God put me here. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that I didn't have to obey. It doesn't mean that I didn't have to be faithful. It doesn't mean I didn't have to uh, have some faith here, but it was by the will of God. It was by the power of God. It was by the grace of God. It was done by the strength of God. And so that means anybody in the room here could do anything that God wants you to do. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> and he'll take, he'll take the ones nobody expects just to show off. You know, he'll, he'll take the person who goes, well, I couldn't possibly, just so he could say, but I could possibly. You know, he's, he's a real show-off. He's a real glory king. You know, he loves glory because he deserves all of it. So he'll just, he wants to show off through you. And I think if the sooner I could say and the sooner you can say, God, I, I, I'm going to accept the good work that you've called me to. I'm going to accept the grace that you've put on my life. I'm not going to fight it. I'm not going to say, well, I couldn't possibly do that. Because of course you couldn't. None of us could possibly do that. But he can. And I'm going to say, you know, I'm a saint, but I'm going to be one of those faithful brothers and sisters that he talks about. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to let patience and steadfastness come out of the fruit of my life. But I'm also going to realize that every time I receive the word of God, every time, whether it's in my study at home or it's here or when it's in my prayer time or, or I heard something or a conversation with another believer, however God spoke it to you, anytime I hear a word from the Lord, anytime I hear the word of God, I'm going to expect that it's going to cause fruit to come out of my life. It's going to bear fruit. It says the word is bearing fruit in me and the word is increasing in me. And, and so if I just had five things I knew the first week I got saved, well, those five things, I want to see them grow in my life. And God will add to it. And they'll produce things in you. And you'll, at some point you'll look back and you'll go, how did I get here? You know, how, why in the world? How, how am I doing these things I'm doing? And he says, that was a result of the words I spoke to you here and the grace I put on your life. And the fact that you just believed me and understood that it's the grace of God working through me. And you're walking in it. I'm excited because I already see that at work in you. But as long as we get to be together, I'm going to get to see that for years. To see those things increasing. That's really exciting as another believer. As our brothers and sisters, we look around and just realize that we're not going to be in the same place next year. You're not going to be in the same place. You're going to be a different person. You are a different person from last year. You know, we're going to be growing and changing and increasing in the word of the Lord. So celebrate that. Don't be afraid of it. And whatever you do, do it in the power of God. Stand up with me. Let's pray.